Hello, and welcome to another edition of Forrester CXCast. Each week, we speak with an analyst from the customer experience team about their research or discuss a customer experience topic in the news. My name is Deanna Laufer, along with my co-host Sam Stern. You'll hear our voice each week. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Forrester CX Cast. My name is Deanna Laufer. I'm here with my co-host, Sam Stern, and we are joined by principal analyst um, from our San Francisco office, Leah Buley. Welcome, Leah. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Hi. Leah is going to be talking about her new report called Executive Q&A, The Designful Executive. So, Leah, tell us, who are these executives that you reference in your report? Ah, okay. So here's the interesting thing. Um, there's so design thinking uh, is a uh, a concept that has been in fashion for probably honestly 20 years. It feels like um, there was a lot about it in the business press in the early 2000s, um, and um, Business Week actually wrote a ton about design thinking. And then there was this point in time when they kind of stopped writing about design thinking and. Um, in 2011, this um, writer, Bruce Nussbaum, who was one of the key reporters at Business Week on design thinking, sort of famously declared that it was a failed experiment. <laughs> but really interestingly, in the last like two years, since like 2012, there have been a number of large enterprise organizations that have brought in a really serious, like heavy firepower design thinking um, and and design sort of capabilities initiative headed up by uh, a strong leader. And so the design thinking, the design, the designful executives are these leaders in these organizations who have somehow managed to make design and design thinking take hold now in places where you kind of wouldn't expect. So uh, in this report, I'm looking at folks from uh, IBM, from Citrix, from SAP, from Infosys, many actually uh, large, uh, primarily B2B-focused organizations hmm. who are now making a really significant uh, investment in um, uh, experience design, in design thinking capabilities for the whole organization, in studios and spaces where, uh, where uh, experience design can happen. And so what I wanted to do in this report was actually just sort of shine a light on how these individuals have actually managed to make their organizations believe in the power of design thinking and why now, and and what did it take, and what are they doing uh, to make it happen? So you just posed like perfectly our next three questions, maybe to ask you, um, why why now? I mean, it's it's so interesting. You you said you know the the Business Week uh, writer declared design thinking failed experiment, and then um, I don't know if I have the timeline exactly right, but shortly thereafter, all these firms started to um, maybe quietly, but but really take design seriously as, as something to have a senior leader in charge of. Why, why do you think that happened now? Yeah, well, I think, I mean, design as a, an answer to um, a way to solve problems creatively is, has sort of always been the case, but I think there's a number of conditions right now that actually make design thinking especially valuable for organizations. So um, one, I think, big factor is that software is uh, becoming increasingly uh, critical to really all businesses, actually. But in the case of these kind of big, in many cases, B2B enterprises, I think what they realized is is that their business is 
um, is software. That's what they offer to their customers. It's the way that their internal organizations run, and um, having uh, better software experiences is essential for the future of, of their company. And I think a lot of them, I mean, if you look at like an SAP or uh, or a Citrix, I mean, these are these are companies that have been pretty successful for the past you know, 30 years, and a lot of what they were offering their customers was built, you know, uh, 15 years ago, 15 of those years ago. And so, so software, realizing that software, it's, you know, it's, it's essential to their organiz- to their businesses and the future vitality of their businesses, and that the, the nature of software is changing in a way where it's becoming increasingly, um, you know, we say consumerized, which is to say that what people are expecting in the software that they use in the office now matches the expectations that they have from the software that they use in their, in their private lives as consumers. So the consumerization of software, I think, is one really important factor that is making these organizations realize they need to bring design kind of up to speed. Another, I think, big uh, kind of vector right now is actually the changing user base itself in, in many enterprise um, kind of client situations where you've got now, really for the first time, millennials are the largest sort of part of the workforce. Um, it was the boomers, and then there was this like three-year period where it was my generation, Gen X, and then like we lost our our, our foothold <laughs> as soon as we got it, and now the millennials are. This is the the, the biggest workforce. Um, that would be in, Diana taking over. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> my exactly. people. Yeah, that seems right. That seems that seems fitting. Um, uh, but yeah, so you know, these are people who are obviously born um, into technology and have different expectations for what um, the technology they use, sort of how it should behave, and what a, what a what a kind of not just like what a quality um, experience with software looks like, but honestly, what software should make possible, the fact that it should make possible different ways of um, engaging in sort of networked behavior, different ways of kind of connecting to content that then um, maybe folks in other generations kind of might expect to see. So I think realizing that they're, their, their customers, in a sense, are changing. Their users are changing. Realizing that um, the nature of what a quality software experience looks like is changing. And then there's another, I think, a third kind of component which I've heard from some of the companies that I've talked to, which is they just they realize that um, volatility is the new norm in a sense, mm-hmm. and that speed is uh, is also the new norm. So that uh, people are bringing uh, competitive offerings to market faster. The the markets sort of responding in a frothy way. The global business conditions are, you know, they're sort of in. Uh, the, well, certainly growth is slowing in some markets. You see, it sort of growth comes in fits and starts. Um, you see a lot of excess uh, kind of capital uh, funneling into startups who are really com- kind of launching pretty um, aggressive uh, competition for some of these bigger uh, industry players. And it just it, it makes it so that individual employees in these larger, more established companies need to be able to react to volatility, uncertainty, and speed in a way that they were unable to in the past. And so for that, the design thinking toolkit is actually a really good set of business practices. So those those conditions, those uh, kind of the importance of software, the changing uh, nature of, uh, of users and the increased volatility in the market, that um, they each come up again and again and again in the interviews that I had with these design full executives as, as sort of reasons that their, their senior leaders believe that it was time to invest in a big way in design. Now, Leah, you were at um, Forrester's 
uh, forum in New York a little while ago, as was I. Um, and one of the speakers on stage asked a question, which was, uh, do you understand design? And I think of the thousand plus people there, maybe five hands were raised. <laughs> yeah. um, wow. So, so I, I think it's, a, it's still a very misunderstood concept. So how do these, um, how do these executives in these companies and these companies that understand it, how do they define design? What are they doing different? Yeah, that's that's um, that's really interesting. So what they're they're doing is they're defining it in, in multiple ways, actually. So what uh, is happening is often actually that when these um, these organizations start to make an investment in design, they bring in a leader who's really supposed to focus on fixing um, the sort of user interface of the software. And so in that sense, design it's really pretty focused on digital. It's UI, it's sort of the stuff that you see when you're clicking around on buttons and links. But when uh, there's, a, there's a kind of common uh, path that seems to unfold in many of the stories of the companies that I talked to, where they bring the human-centered design kind of process to fixing UI, and, and the improvements that they see are so drastic and they come so quickly that the organization starts to get curious about how you could apply, apply that same human-centered design process beyond UI. And so then they start bringing in those same methods of user research and iterative design and prototyping and validating with customers into um, the design of the service experience or into the design of the sales experience or to the design of how they do marketing. And so then they evolve from an idea of design as sort of user interface to design as experience design for the end-to-end -end experience. Um, and then even beyond that, in each of these organizations, what we are seeing is that they're also investing in parallel into design as a problem-solving methodology that every employee in the company should have some training in. So this is really the kind of classic design thinking training. Um, so in many of these organizations, in certainly in uh, at Citrix, at uh, IBM, at Capital One, I, uh, what they do is they have part of the the kind of their investment in design, which is um, hiring expert craftsmen designers, and they do that end-to-end -end experience design. And then they have part of their investment in design being a program of training and capabilities enablement around design thinking methodologies for the rest of the organization. And um, those are slightly different things, but uh, they're, they're highly complementary. In fact, actually, at that forum, uh, at the CX, the CX forum that we both attended, there was a gentleman from Capital One who's, who has a, a program that looks a lot like that. His name is Scott Zimmer, and he really specifically called out that um, experience design is really powerful, that sort of craft of having expert designers. Design thinking is really powerful, that capabilities or sort of training program to get all your employees to understand design and design thinking. But they don't. each of them is actually kind of... Um, uh, uh, less effective until you bring them together, and then it becomes actually a, a, a force for, for culture change in a way. Huh, that's really interesting. So, Leah, not asking you to pick a favorite here, but, but and, and so, you know, that's the disclaimer here. This isn't necessarily your favorite designful executive, but could you, could you maybe give us a thumbnail on one of these uh, people just so we can sort of hear their background and, and their role within the organization and, you know, maybe a couple people on their team? Yeah, okay, all right, well... Yeah, not not picking favorites, but I'm really really <laughs> interested in the in the story at IBM right now. Um, so IBM's design uh, organization, I, they call it IBM Design, is headed up by a gentleman named Phil Gilbert, and Phil's really interesting because he's not a designer by training. He actually has a background 
um, in business process management, and he's been a kind of entrepreneur for decades. And he actually uh, founded a company, Lombardi uh, Software, that IBM uh, acquired. It was a business process management tool. And Phil will say that the thing about Lombardi was not that the, techno- the technology was superior, it was that the experience the user experience was superior. And so when he came into IBM, he spent some time actually just managing the, uh, kind of all the, all the business process management software that IBM had. And he was able through kind of uh, applying a kind of superior experience design approach to reduce the amount of software that, uh, the amount of BPM software that IBM had from 40 different products to four. He was able to cut the amount of engineering time that, or the engineering dollars that they spent by 25% because they knew better upfront what they were designing. Hmm. And that was enough of a, a kind of a success story that then IBM said, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna kind of go on, go all in on this approach across, you know, our suite of products. And so what Phil's been doing that's really interesting, I think, is he's, He's really thinking about this as culture change in a, in a big way. And so he's been um, challenging the organization to, uh, to hire, uh, to truly hire the number of, of high-quality craftsmen that they will really need to make great design happen on every single product. And so in the case of IBM, they, they really did some sort of back-of-a-napkin math and realized, like, okay, we, we need, a, like, a 1,000 more designers than we have if we want to do this, and he managed to get his his leaders to to support an investment of that size, which I think wow. is really what it, what it takes in some organizations. And then he's also hired in a lot of really just impressive people from industry. So he has um, a guy, Doug Powell, who used to be the president of the AIGA, which is the American Institute of Oh, I'm going to mess up. Oh, I forget what that stands for. But it's basically the, you know, the Designers Association of, of for kind of Graphic Designers of America. Doug is now training people at IBM in design thinking. They, he's, got, he's hired a, a, a really big um, uh, recruiting team to kind of make it possible to bring in expert designers, which is its own kind of challenge because, they're, in, in a sense, the market isn't big enough. There aren't enough designers for the demand that organizations need. Um, he's got... Uh, He's got a lot of really interesting stuff going on. So that that is my my kind of um, uh, well, I won't say it's my favorite example, but I, I think it's a really interesting example of going all in in a big way on design. And um, yeah, so I think you'll see some improvements probably in the product. I mean, I think you already are. They, I think Blue Mix has already definitely improved because of that. But they, I think, what Phil says that's interesting is um, 2020 and 25 and 2025. Like, where is IBM? going to be then and I think that's the level of it that shows the level of ambition and the long-term vision they have for what design is going to be doing to that organization and I'm going to repeat a number that you said just to emphasize what you said about the 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 size of their bet which is that they he he got he got them to hire a thousand new designers into the organization that's That's, the goal yeah that's impressive yeah, I think they're up to 600 now or something. But the, and the way that he got them to do that was by basically calculating what is the ratio of designers to coding engineers that we feel is, is healthy for a product that's going to have a great user experience. And for IBM, they, that ratio they decided was 1 to 8. So they needed to have you know, one designer essentially for every eight kind of coding engineers on a, on a product. And when they did that math, they realized, okay, well, today we're 1 to 30. <laughs> so... If we want to get to one to eight, that means we need to bring in this many more. Um, so uh, I think uh, a really, yeah, an interesting success story is that. Thank you, Leah, for joining us today on the podcast. That report, again, is how to build a design program. Um, and thanks, listeners, for uh, listening today.
See you next time. Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening to this week's CX Cast. We'll post links to the reports we mentioned in this episode in the podcast show notes. For questions or suggestions, please contact me at D-L-A-U-F-E-R at Forrester.com. And remember, your customer's perception is your CX reality.